G'day and welcome to The Lyle Shelton Show. It's great to have your company wherever you're listening, whether it's watching uh, this on YouTube or listening to it as a podcast. I'm glad you've taken time out of your week to be with me to discuss some of the issues that don't get the run in the mainstream media that they should. I want to talk about the US presidential election coming up on November 3. We are just uh, days away from uh, knowing who is going to lead the most important and significant nation in the world for the next four years. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? Will he make America great again? Or will Joe Biden and the Democrats implement their radical left-wing agenda? And I'm sorry to be partisan there, but you'll see what I have to say in just a few moments. I'm also going to talk about uh, Brian Houston, uh, the pastor of Hillsong Church, a man whom I greatly admire from a distance, been to his conferences. Uh, He put out a tweet last year week saying the church should unite and take a stand. I couldn't agree more, uh, but uh, I've got, uh, I guess, some nuance and some perspective on that that I want to share. Also going to touch on the upcoming Queensland election. Uh, Polls are well and truly open. Um, More than half of the people, probably 60%, are going to vote before October 31, which is this Saturday. Big election here in the Sunshine State. Uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk, uh, another four years, first four-year term. Uh, Will she be a third-term premier? or Deb Frecklington and her LNP team, will they uh, usher in a new era? Um, That is the question. Uh, But first, I'm going to turn to the US elections. Strap yourself in. We're in for a big show. You're with The Lyle Shelton Show. Well, many people and even some Christians don't believe that we're in the midst of a serious freedom of religion and freedom of speech crisis. You hear me talk about this often on this show. With legal action taken against me by two anti-free speech LGBTIQA plus drag queens, I feel it acutely and I'm under no illusions as to how dire things have become. Others like me Uh, Also know this to be the case, having suffered legal action and or professional sanction. I'm thinking of Ballarat Christian College and that parent community there who want to uphold their views. A marriage taken, uh, uh, having had legal action taken against them, the the Yes campaign of the marriage movement, now called Equality Australia, muscling up with big city lawyers Clayton Utes to take them on. Uh, Bernard Gaynor, my good friend, years and years of vexatious litigation against him by the gay activist Gary Burns. Margaret Court, they, they just keep calling for her name to be taken off the Margaret Court arena at the Melbourne Tennis Centre, Margaret Court being the world's greatest ever women's tennis player. And of course, my good friend, Dr. David Van Gend, sanctioned by the medical board. Uh, It just goes on and on. The leaders of the same-sex marriage yes campaign told Australians there would be no consequences for other people's freedom uh, if marriage was degendered. They lied. Uh, The yes vote three years ago has emboldened activists to use lawfare and other means of pressure to stamp out dissent of their views. It has emboldened a militant transgender movement, which, with the backing of new laws, is confusing our children and criminalising parents and health professionals. Now, as voters in the US face the choice between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, commentators are perplexed that a strong majority of faithful Christians will be voting for Trump. Trump and his vice president, Mike Pence, himself a Christian, are on the side of freedom of speech, conscience and religion. The Democrats, however, under Biden and his extreme left running mate Kamala Harris favour laws which enforce PC speech codes about marriage and gender, and they want to punish those who dissent. In a piece headlined, Why Christians Will Vote for Donald Trump, 
The Australian's foreign editor Greg Sheridan explains why Christians will pinch their nostrils shut with their fingers and vote for Trump on November 3. That's probably a little bit harsh, but there's much that many of us don't like about Trump, including uh, aspects of his character, his narcissism, uh, the way he speaks very disrespectfully about his political opponents, plays the man, not the ball. Um, that, that's why I use that terminology. There's much about his policy that I admire and think is the right direction for the country. But uh, Sheridan says this, he says, the left liberal political and legal movements have argued that merely to teach traditional Christian doctrine at school or university that marriage is between a man and a woman is to discriminate against gay students. Um, now, faithful Christians know this and feel the pressure from uh, the parties of the left like the Democrats. Christians want to be free to believe and teach their views on marriage, human rights for the unborn and the science of gender, not because they are bigots or haters, but because they sincerely hold these views as true. Australian ABC commentator Julia Baird, herself a professing Christian, has sadly bought into the left's narrative that Christians and conservatives only want freedom of speech and freedom of religion because they want to be mean to be people like young gays or deny medical care to people with whom they disagree. Baird recently tweeted an excerpt of a speech given by the Democrat Congresswoman from New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. At just 31, AOC, as she is known, is seen as a rising star of the political left in the US and globally. Here's her attack on religious freedom given at a congressional hearing last February. Take a listen. Experiencing this hearing and I'm struggling whether I respond or launch into this question as a legislator or from the perspective of a woman of faith because I cannot, it's, it's very difficult to sit here and listen to arguments in the long history of this country of using scripture and weaponizing and abusing scripture to justify bigotry. White supremacists have done it. Those who justified slavery did it. Those who fought against integration did it. And we're seeing it today. And sometimes, especially in this body, I feel as though if Christ himself walked through these doors and said what he said thousands of years ago, that we should love our neighbor and our enemy, that we should welcome the stranger, fight for the least of us, that it is easier for a rich man, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into a kingdom of heaven. He would be maligned as a radical and rejected from these doors. And I know And it is part of my faith that all people are holy and all people are sacred unconditionally. And that is what makes faith sometimes, that's what, what prompts us to transform because it is unconditional. It's not about that it is up to us to love parts of people. We love all people. There is nothing holy about rejecting medical care of people, no matter who they are on the grounds of what their identity is. 
There is nothing holy about turning someone away from a hospital. There's nothing holy about, about rejecting a child from a family. There's nothing holy about writing discrimination into the law. And I am tired of communities of being of faith being weaponized and being mischaracterized because the only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. I'm tired of it. My faith commands me to treat Mr. Minton as holy because he is sacred, because his life is sacred, because you are not to be denied anything that I am, that I am entitled to that we are equal in the eyes of the law, and we are equal in my faith in the eyes of the world. And so I just have to get that out ahead of time because it is deeply disturbing, not just what is happening here, but what this administration is advancing is the idea that religion and faith is about exclusion. It is not up to us. It is not up to us to deny medical care. It is up to us to feed the hungry, to clothe the poor, to protect children, and to love all people as ourselves. Brilliant, Baird tweeted. This is Julia Baird from Australia. Well, if only what AOC was saying in that clip was true. Now, I've been part of the freedom of speech and freedom of religion debate in this nation for more than a decade, and I follow closely the debate in the US. I've never heard Christians argue for freedom of religion because they want to do the things that AOC so eloquently talks about. These are lies and at best half-truths. If a Catholic hospital denying the medical care of abortion is turning away someone from a hospital in the name of religious freedom, then AOC is being mischievous at best, pernicious at worst. Of course, a Catholic or Presbyterian hospital should be free to decline to kill unborn babies. To paint those who favour religious freedom as people who are callous and heartless towards those requiring medical care is a gross distortion of what is sought by those of us who value freedom of religion. I've been a Christian all my life, and I don't know anyone who would turn away a child who is experiencing same-sex attraction. I'm tired of the assertion from the left that because people don't agree with the redefinition of marriage, that they somehow hate gays or want to make life miserable for gay kids. That is not true of the almost 5 million Australians who voted no in the same-sex marriage plebiscite of 2017. But I do believe parents should have the right to send their children to a school which upholds their views on sexuality and the science of gender. Surely we can tolerate diversity. The left, of course, don't and consider this bigotry. They want to punish those who hold these views. When Christians see articulate young Democrats like AOC make persuasive but pernicious speeches like this, they run to Mike Pence and to Donald Trump, notwithstanding the many flaws and barnacles of Trump. Sadly, too many Australian Labor politicians and all of the Greens hold identical views to those expressed in this clip of AOC. More than just Baird at the A uh, sorry, more than just Julia Baird at the ABC also hold these views. That is why Christians and conservatives are worried. 
and they should be. The left no longer believe in freedom and want to enforce their monoculture on the rest of us. That is why people like me are being taken to court. Make no mistake, the stakes for freedom are incredibly high. That's why faithful evangelicals and Protestants will overwhelmingly vote for Trump, and they would be right to do so. A second Trump presidency will be a further reprieve from persecution. If Trump loses on November 3, every Christian should go and replay the AOC speech that I just played, and which Baird tweeted, and they should listen carefully. Then they should decide how they plan to live out their faith under a government which views them as evil people and ultimately criminals. Many will compromise, others will go to jail. You're with The Lyle Shelton Show. Well, I'm a great fan of Hillsong Pastor Brian Houston and his church. For years, I drove busloads of young people from my hometown of Toowoomba to Sydney for Hillsong conferences. One of the best things my wife and I did for our teenage children was to make an annual family pilgrimage to be in the 20,000 strong crowds at the indoor arena at Olympic Park. The worship of Jesus, the preaching from the Bible, and the atmosphere of faith was simply extraordinary at these events. So when Pastor Brian tweeted last week about the discriminatory coronavirus restrictions, he had my attention. It's time church leaders unite to take a stand, he tweeted. And he's right. There were 40,000 people packed cheek by jowl into the Gabba on Saturday night for the AFL Grand Final between Geelong and Richmond, and another 40,000 at the Olympic Park for the NRL last night against the Storm and the Panthers. Houston has a building which holds 4,000 people, but he's only allowed to have 100 on the inside. Yet 300 people are allowed at indoor weddings. I was musing about this as I was wearing blue rubber gloves while cleaning seats with disinfectant wipes in between COVID-safe services at my own church in Brisbane at the weekend. But something about Pastor Brian's tweet has bothered me and it has nothing to do with the crazy coronavirus rules. I've rarely heard a Christian leader make a public call for unity. Imagine what would happen if the church did unite, if leaders united, full stop. Dare we to imagine John 17 or Psalm 133? Go look them up. Imagine if they took a stand Imagine if they took a united stand to address the problems and pain in their local communities, together, regardless of brand. Many churches, including the one I attend, do fantastic community work with the marginalised, with the disadvantaged. And while there is some collaboration, most churches do their good works in silos. Despite our best efforts, we are scarcely touching the loneliness epidemic, which has morphed into a suicide epidemic, according to an ambulance friend, an ambulance officer friend of mine. But when was the last time church leaders took a united stand for justice on issues that are seen as a bit tricky? Human rights for the unborn and proper support for their mothers don't get a lot of airplay outside of the Catholic Church. In fairness, there have been uh, the odd occasion when joint letters to governments have been signed by church leaders, and that's great. 
But Queensland recently passed horrific abortion to birth laws with no protections for women against male coercion of them, and the church was virtually silent. The church failed to mobilise during the debate to redefine marriage, and now we are living with the consequences for freedom of speech and religion. The compulsory indoctrination of children into all manner of wacky gender-fluid queer theory has only accelerated. The Lord Mayor of Brisbane and his council support gender-fluid and adult entertainer drag queen role models reading to children in public libraries. Yet silence. Despite some exceptions, silence has been the hallmark of the church for the past 50 years as law and culture has moved against the principles that are best for human flourishing. Imagine if we united and took a stand against pornography and for the dignity of women. The church has become so spiritual we are of little earthly use. Instead of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, as Jesus asks us to do, we have been prepared to let God's earth go to hell. The truth has lacked public advocates and hearing just one powerful secular voice, the public like sheep without a shepherd have largely gone with the flow. I saw firsthand the confusion of many Christians during the same-sex marriage debate. They had little or no formation in Christian social teaching. Pastors were afraid to give it for fear of being labelled a bigot. Even today, people ask me if we should engage in public debate. My answer is always that if the issue affects the most vulnerable and voiceless, then we should. We should even engage in party politics. Love of neighbour should compel us. Politics is war without the tanks, and that's how it should be, a battle for ideas. The church should be on the forefront of the political fight for women with unsupported pregnancies and for the lives of unborn children. The church should be speaking the loudest in love to LGBTIQA plus political activists and gently but firmly telling them they have no right to deliberately deprive a child of a mother so two men can form a family and vice versa. The church, not just New South Wales politician Mark Latham, should be loudly proclaiming the science behind God's creation of male and female in the face of teachers' unions that are hell-bent on teaching little children they might have been born in the wrong body. We are now at the point where speaking the truth puts us at risk of losing our jobs or of legal action. I know this from personal experience. Yes, it's time for us to unite and take a stand. And of course, I want to see our churches again full of people worshipping Jesus and hearing God's word. The COVID rules are crazy, but they are well down the list of problems a united church taking a stand should be tackling. Well, welcome back to The Lyle Shelton Show. Just to wrap up, I want to remind you again to get your copy of my book, I Kid You Not, Notes from 20 Years in the Trenches of the Culture Wars. Uh, it's selling really well. Uh, people are telling me over and over again how it's motivating them uh, to understand the issues uh, and understand what's been going on behind the scenes as, as a result of our silence that politicians have gotten away with passing laws which are harmful, particularly to women and uh, particularly to children. Uh, so get your copy of I Kid You Not, Notes from 20 Years in the Trenches of the Culture Wars. It's available at lyleshelton.com.au. 
$35 includes postage and handling. It's also available at Kurong if you've got a Kurong bookstore close by. Well, I mentioned at the top of the show that this Saturday is the Queensland election. People are already voting in their droves. Pre-poll was open all last week. It's open again this week. Uh, the Queensland Electoral Commission has been experimenting with uh, night voting uh, up till nine o'clock on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, more than 60% of people will probably vote uh, ahead of Saturday. This is a crucial election and uh, I just want to say that I can't see how in good faith it's possible to vote for the Australian Labor Party and I'll tell you why. The Australian Labor Party in its latest term, in this current term which is about to end, uh, in 2018 passed the most brutal uh, abortion laws, some of the most brutal abortion laws in the country, abortion all the way to birth. Uh, the Health Minister Stephen Miles denies this, but you've only got to look at the legislation in black and white. It allows abortion to occur for any reason right up to birth. And Jackie Trad, the former Deputy Premier, uh, bullied her colleagues, uh, threatening many, uh, it's said, uh, of their pre-selections if they didn't vote for this. Um, it's terrible legislation. Women are coerced, uh, can be coerced, uh, with no penalty to men who coerce them to kill their unborn babies. And of course, we know that many women uh, are pressured into, into that. Uh, this is a government which has uh, instituted compulsory gender-fluid education of children in all Queensland state schools. Uh, to teach a child that uh, it shouldn't love the body that it was born in, that it might be a boy or a girl, uh, is uh, the ultimate form of, of child abuse. And uh, we have uh, children now in epidemic proportions uh, attending gender clinics uh, here in Brisbane and right around the country uh, as a result of so-called safe schools, rebadges, respectful relationships. Uh, Grace Grace, the education minister here, boasts about the gender fluid, uh, sorry, the gender, the gender bred person. It's a resource used in many schools which teaches children their, their gender is on a spectrum. She said it's the result of the so-called marriage equality debate. That's why it's compulsory and parents just have to suck it up. Um, this is a government that is teaching our children lies. Uh, that is, uh, it's, a, it's a government of death. And uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk at the weekend uh, announced that uh, if she is re-elected, her party will bring in euthanasia laws uh, in February of next year. Death at the start of life or death even before a baby is out of its mother's womb. It certainly has started life uh, from fertilisation uh, to the point where uh, the elderly and the vulnerable will be pressured to do the right thing and take the lethal injection. Um, elder abuse is a massive problem. Uh, it will be weaponized uh, if a lethal injection uh, is given, as, is made available as part of so-called health care. This is a government that has lost its moral compass completely and uh, it doesn't deserve another term. It's also economically been very destructive to the state. <clears throat> the state was in $100 billion worth of debt before uh, the COVID pandemic hit. And that's as a result of uh, Jackie Trad's stewardship of the books as treasurer. Uh, they showed no restraint. There's very little to show for that $100 billion worth of debt. And of course, now, now that's even worse as a result of the pandemic uh, and the crisis that we've been in. Uh, unemployment was at record levels. Business failure, bankruptcy were at record levels pre-COVID. Uh, they've got to go. Uh, that's the Queensland election. Now, on Saturday night, there'll be special live coverage of the Queensland election hosted by my good friend Dave Pello uh, from the Good Source News and Pello Talk. 
Dave has invited myself and others to be part of uh, an election night panel. Uh, we'll be giving uh, our commentary uh, on the night live. You'll be able to stream it on uh, Facebook. So uh, stay tuned for details of that. D don't tune into the mainstream media. You've now got uh, a fantastic option in the good source uh, to hear commentary from people who will be talking from the perspective of your values. So don't miss that. Uh, the good source news um, from uh, my good friend Dave Pello. Uh, once uh, polling booths closed at six o'clock, uh, we'll be going live uh, on Facebook and you'll be able to tune in and, and watch us there on Facebook and YouTube and the, the regular channels. Well, thanks so much for joining me again this week for The Lyle Shelton Show. It's an absolute joy and privilege to host this each week and uh, I appreciate your company. Tell your friends about it. And uh, until Saturday night, uh, stay safe. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you then and then again next week for another episode of The Lyle Shelton Show. Goodbye. The Lyle Shelton Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Lyle Shelton. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJW PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news. Good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.